before we dive in, remember um, last week as we were teaching through the seventh bowl that was being poured out, one of the things I mentioned to you is the technology that is being used for the, the new vaccine for coronavirus. How many of you remember me saying that? Okay, talking about that a little bit. Great, great, great. I want to make sure that in no way that I make you think that I was alluding to the fact that I thought that the vaccine for coronavirus was in fact the mark of the beast, because that's not in any way what I've been trying to say to you. However, I have been trying to, and I've been putting before you, that what we need to understand is that there is a move towards a global empire, which we're going to see, uh, continue to see hinted towards here in chapter 17, in which the Antichrist will function. We know that in order for him to have a global system in place where he can literally control the population of the world through a mark of the beast, that framework, foundation and framework for such a global system has to be put in place prior to him coming to power, which means that everything in the world system that we currently have is going to be moving in that direction. And as we look at things with a clear biblical washed mind, with a biblical worldview intact, you can begin to already see the hints of things moving in that direction on the economic and political um, and even the healthcare front and many other fronts. I mean, many of you can see those things um, and it's moving in that direction. And utilizing the coronavirus um, vaccine as an example, I can say that this week it was um, put out that there will be a um, coronavirus vaccine card um, that you will receive. Those of you who will, who will get the vaccine, you'll get a, a, a immunization card, which is supposed to be a record of that for, for just the purposes of keeping records. But it's being said, and actually, and some of you might like this, CNN actually reported it. So... Some people might, you know, I'm happy to be able to say that, actually. Um, <laughs> not just Pastor Kevin's news sources that, he's, that he likes to watch. Um, but, but it's that you might be required to actually produce that. They, they're encouraging you to keep it on you because at some point you'll have to have it. And see, what, what happens with this is this is what we need to understand. It's not that the vaccine's the mark of the beast, but the level of control that will come with the vaccine, will make it so that in order for you to enjoy freedom, you'll actually have to, at some point, really deal with and wrestle with the fact that you are going to be forced at some point to have to take it if you want to do things that you like to do, like maybe travel um, or maybe enroll your kids in a particular school or maybe do other things where you would not be able to do without producing some level of... Um, proof of vaccination or something of that sort. Um, and so those things are things that we now live in a world where we, we will wrestle with a little differently than we, we've had before. So even though we're about to end 2020, we got a lot to pray for as we go into 2021, okay? So these are things that we just, we need to know, we need to understand how does missionary work change now with these things that are in place? There's one group of pilots that have actually started a fleet and they're working on it of planes for the purpose of missionary work, which I was pleased to see CBN, CBN put out an article on that, finding ways to get missionaries where they need to go um, in the environment that we live in so that the things that the church has been doing can continue. A lot to pray for, um, a lot of good things to come as we continue through this. So with all of that said, we know the world is moving in that direction. As we ended last week, chapter 16, y'all doing okay? 
And it's a little bit of a long intro. We go into a new chapter. But as we ended chapter 16, two things I'll remind you of is that the seventh bowl, remember, was poured out upon the air. Y'all remember that? It was very interesting. It was poured out on the air. Um, at that point, the world was literally dying. And because the bowls had already been poured out on the, on the, on the earth, on the water systems, um, the people with the mark of the beast had loathsome sores. Uh, a bowl was poured out on the sun. And remember that the sun uh, power was given then to scorch men. Remember that? They were scorched uh, with the heat of the sun. Uh, they had these loathsome sores. They were experiencing pain. Darkness fell upon the, um, the beast uh, global system. All of these things were taking place. And then the final bowl was poured out upon the air, which was a judgment directly against Satan himself and his kingdom. Remember, I told you because Satan is the prince of the power of the air. We talked about that. Remember, y'all do remember that, right? I'll read you from Ephesians just as a reminder. Chapter six, those of you, most of you know it. I could quote it, but I don't want to misquote it today. But where he tells us that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, chapter 6, verse 12, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness. And it actually says in heavenly places. We talked about the three heavens last week, but the first heaven, the air where this bowl is poured out, which is a domain where Satan has been ruling um, in the sons of disobedience. We talked about that. And, and with that, it gives us the implication that his domain is now being judged. In fact, he operates from that place, manipulating uh, governments, manipulating people who do not have the spirit of God. We talked about that. In fact, in a lot of ways, we understand and you can even begin to discern that there can be a spiritual climate. One thing we know about Satan's kingdom is it's very territorial um, in, in the principalities and the structure of it. And there are different spiritual climates in different areas. Um, and you can tell sometimes. Sometimes it just seems like there's a thick demonic presence in certain areas. And then there are other areas where it's a little freer. And I think a lot of it actually has to do with the presence and the activity of the church in a particular area making a huge impact. And you see this on the mission field. You see this in places where the church infiltrates in order to do ministry. And there's many prayer warriors involved and it kind of pushes back. We see that biblically happening as well. Um, God had an ordained thing to happen in Clayton because the first day I drove to Clayton to look for a place to meet for a Bible study, the first thing I noticed was to my right, leaving Garner on 70, was a, a uh, an empty lot that was still simmering from fire. Um, how many of you know what the lot I'm talking about? Yeah, it's the place that the gentleman's club used to be and it had just burned down. And then when I got to Clayton, there's a bunch of churches trying to find places to plant uh, a new church. Um, all of a sudden it's like, man, God is doing something out here. And in fact, we can see that he, he is. And the spiritual climate in Clayton is very free, if you will. Um, and I think that it, the, the church is presence in a town like this must continue to be strong in order for that to stay the case. And that's why when we're at the town square and we're willing to pray in the open, corporate prayer in the middle of the town square, and to go out, we've been evangelizing the streets of Clayton since we've been a church. And those things, if you will, um, kind of set the, the tone of the spiritual climate of the town that we live in. And so, um, and I'm thankful to be in this particular town doing ministry with you all. And so we saw that. And then at the end of chapter 16, 
men were still blaspheming God all the way through the chapter. Remember chapter 16, verse 9, chapter 16, verse 11, and chapter 16, verse 21. They were blaspheming the God of heaven because of the things that were going on. The implication, they knew where the plagues were coming from, yet they refused to repent and turn to God. And as I said last week, or they no longer had the desire in them to repent and turn to God because the implication of the mark of the beast is that those who received the mark of the beast were damned to torment and did not have an ability to even come to Christ any longer. So there's a lot of things that go along with that. Excuse me. Now that we turn the, table, uh, the page into chapter 17, we're going to begin to see uh, this new scene, not from a chronological standpoint, but the angel is going to show John some things. I'll come back and explain. Let's read chapter 17, verse 1. If you there, say amen. amen. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, come and I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. With whom the kings of the earth committed fornication and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of the names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of the abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery. Babylon the great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and ten horns. And if you're new today, it's okay. We'll just take our time. I'm so sorry. I mean, it's, I can imagine being new here today. The beast, which you saw, was and is not, and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. Trust me, John was probably a little confused as well. Verse 9. Here is the mind which has wisdom, the seven heads or seven mountains on which the woman sits. You can underline that if you will, if you're just joining us particularly. There are also seven kings. I would underline that. Five have fallen, one is, and the other is not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. And the beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth and is of the seven and is going into perdition. I'm sure John completely understands it all now. <laughs> not completely I'm sure but has a has a, a, a good of a, a good he's gaining some understanding verse 10 the 10 horns which you saw and remember a lot of this we've already talked about are 10 kings who have received no kingdom as of yet but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast there are they are of one mind and they will give their power and authority to the beast these will make war with the lamb, and the lamb will overcome them, 
for he is Lord of lords and king of kings, and those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. Now, I would highlight that verse because that's the best verse in the chapter. Because you see the Lord being victorious, and you see those of us who are with him uh, being called chosen and faithful. Verse 15, then he said to me, the waters which you saw, which the harlot sits, are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. And the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate her. These are ten kings, remember. Make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to fulfill his purposes, to be of one mind, to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. In other words, God is going to allow this until it's all said and done, and we see this system come into place. Um, verse 18, and the woman who you saw is the great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon is, the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons and prison of every foul spirit and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. This is kind of being a repeat here. And it says, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people. Take notice of that lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven and God has remembered her iniquities. Render to her just as she has rendered to you and repay her double according to her works. In the cup which she has mixed, mixed double for her. In the measure that she has glorified herself and lived luxuriously, in the same measure give her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, this is echoed from Old Testament to New. I sit as queen. Remember this now. I sit as queen. I am no widow and will not see sorrow. Therefore, her plagues will be. Her plagues, excuse me. Therefore, her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire. For strong is the Lord God. Who judges her and you're going to see in the next section the world is mourning because of her judgment and so father we do thank you lord for this text lord i pray as we turn our hearts and minds to it that you would clear them of the cares of this life the burdens of this world even the distractions from this room that you may teach us by your holy spirit that we would see the things that you would have for us to see this morning things that are for us in the time that we live in lord god in jesus name we love you and we thank you and we say together amen amen so as we begin to look at this woman uh, in chapter 17, and we're going to just get a few verses down into this today, um, she is one of three major women that we see in the book of Revelation. And we see four, but one of them's kind of wrapped up in this one, and I'll, I'll mention that later. We see the woman that is mentioned in chapter 12. Remember, in chapter 12, there was a woman clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet. Y'all remember this? She was ready to give birth to a male child, but the dragon was standing ready to devour her child as soon as he would be born. Remember, but her child was caught up in the heaven. He was, he's going to rule with the rod of iron. We identified the child as Jesus. The woman was Israel. Y'all remember that? A beautiful picture of Israel, who, by the way, is the wife 
of Jehovah in the Old Testament. So we know the first woman. Um, in chapter 19, we're going to see another woman who has made herself ready. She's being clothed in white remnant. And she is now was the bride, but in chapter 19 has become the wife of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we see these two prominent women, the wife of Jehovah, Israel, the, the wife of the Lord Jesus, the church of which we are all a part of. And guys, it's kind of weird to look at ourselves that way. But collectively, we, the body of Christ, are the uh, wife of Jesus Christ. Now, it's a good thing because when Jesus gets to taking care of stuff, we're in good, good, good position, right? Y'all okay? Okay, good, good. And then we see this woman here who is called a whore, according to King James, a harlot in the New King James. And she boasts that I'm going to be no widow. I'm not going to see sorrow. She's prideful and she's a harlot. Y'all notice that, right? The other woman I'll mention later we see is in the book of Revelation chapter 2. And spiritually, she's called Jezebel, and she's kind of, in my opinion, wrapped up in the system that we're seeing with this woman right here, which is what's blowing John away, because what he's seeing, he can barely fathom it. And you got to think about it for a moment. John is an apostle in the Christian church. John is a writer of the New Testament text in which we read and which we love. Amen. We know that. And so John is a part of the apostles who laid the foundation. The apostles, remember the church is laid upon the, built upon the foundation, which is laid by the prophets and the apostles, meaning that it's built upon the word of God, Jesus being the chief cornerstone of that foundation. And so John, who is seeing all of this, by the time we get to verse six, it says that he sees it and he's completely amazed at what he sees because the end of verse six says, when I saw her, I marveled. I wondered in amazement at what I'm seeing. And this is crazy because John has seen a lot of stuff already. I mean, if you think chapters 1 through 16, John, what else could amaze John at this point? But this woman is something that stands out to John as something that blows his mind. And he, he, something he probably never thought he would actually see the results of something that he never hoped would happen being one who's laboring in ministry in the first century to build the Christian church. And as I stand as a pastor 2,000 years later, in the final, what I uh, believe is the final leg of the relay of the baton of the word of God being passed down from the Lord Jesus through the apostles to all who have served in the ministry, I am amazed as well with the little bit of understanding that I can muster in this chapter and I look into the world and I see what's going on in the church, I am completely amazed about, I believe, where we are today as we begin to open this up. And so notice it says in verse one here, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me saying to me, come and I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. And so it's kind of interesting as we begin to look at this, I've been trying to tell you that you kind of relax on the chronology of the, of the book of Revelation. You begin to realize that, you know, it's hard to pin that down sometimes because John was not standing in his body watching something on a screen or dictating something that was given to him. The Bible says in chapter one that John was in the spirit on the Lord's day, but the literal translation is he came to be in the spirit until the day of the Lord, which we believe means that John was taken in the spirit 
to location to a particular coordinates in space-time, which we don't really fully understand, and he actually is observing the actual things as they take place, and if that makes your brain hurt, it's okay, because that's God. He's too big for us to understand, and I like the fact that I can't get it all, because I want him to be big. When I was a kid, I was amazed at what my dad did. Now I look back and laugh. You know, my kids were amazed at the stuff that I did, you know, and, you know, and it's just what it is. But I want God to be amazing because I want to always learn and, and, and enjoy my relationship with him. And so John is taken there to see these things. John basically leapfrogs over where we are in space time and goes ahead and sees the actual events. So he's seen all of this stuff. He's seen the final judgments take place in chapter 16. Because remember, those, the Bible told us in chapter 15 that in those seven last plagues, the wrath of God is complete. Y'all remember that? Chapter 15, verse 1, way back. Okay, everybody all right? Okay, so we know that. And so now the angel, not from a chronology standpoint, but he says, look, John, I got to show you something else. And so he takes John and he begins to reveal to him something that even in everything that John has already seen, John gave us chapter 13, but it wasn't completely clear. The angel is going to make it clearer to him in chapter 17, and John can barely take it. And so he takes him. He says, come and I will show you the judgment, specific judgment, notice, of the great harlot who sits on many waters. So as we go through this, there'll be a lot of things that we'll make clear. Chapter 18, as we were reading it, or later actually in this chapter, what we find out is that many waters speaks of the fact, look in verse, verse 15 of chapter 17, just to make sure we interpret that together. Verse 15 says, and he says to me, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, y'all see this? Multitudes, nations, and tongues. So I'm gonna show you the great harlot or the great whore which sits on many waters, meaning the nations of the world. This is the scary part. She is completely intertwined with every governmental system and every culture on the planet. Now I'm afraid. I'm like, John, this is, this is too much. This great horror is in everything and everywhere that you can imagine. It's amazing to be on a missions trip you know, and to be able to see shrines to idols on a mountain in very uh, primitive kind of areas and then go back into the city and see the same thing. And, and, and it's very interesting to begin to, to fathom these things. There's something going on here that John is seeing and it's permeated the whole world. And it's, it's called the great harlot, if you will. Now, I want to kind of continue to define some of these things. This great harlot um, the word harlot, it literally means, and we know, we understand what prostitution is, is a woman who sells her body for sexual use. And there's always a purpose to that. As a prostitute, as a harlot, is one who yields, listen, yields herself to defilement for the sake of gain. Or, or, or any woman that indulges in unlawful sexual intercourse, whether it be for gain or for lust. Idolatry is what it's called. Um, biblically, it speaks of a system. Listen, a system, a woman being portrayed here is representing a system in which is rebellious or at least is in uh, I, adultery to that which she uh, is supposed to be committed to, listen, for the sake of gain. 
And that becomes a very simple way for us to begin to look at this. This woman, which represents a system, is, if you will, in infidelity, if you will, towards that which she is supposed to be created to be committed to for the sake of gain. And now, as you begin to think about that, it gives a different, if you will, take on what may be happening here as we begin to look at what type of system has permeated the whole world who has been an uh, adulterer in order to gain, uh, you know, maybe materially. And we'll see that begin to come in play as we go through this. And so this system, which sits on many waters, notice he continues to give us an indication of something because it says in verse 2, Uh, with whom the kings of the earth, all of the kings of the earth, literally, the prime ministers, the presidents, those who lead nations, committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine for fornication. Fornication, of course, is acts of sexual intercourse between people not married to one another. We know that. All sexual activity between people not married is sin. And, of course, just defines the act. We know that. The Bible is referring to, listen, spiritual fornication here, which defines the act of worshiping, surrendering, serving any God other than the one true God of creation. Just like you can only have one legal spouse, likewise, there can have or there can be only one legal God. All others are false. And so it says here that literally the kings of the earth have committed fornication with this system, if you will, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. The language is very interesting. The wine of her fornication. Remember, weeks ago, I tried to define that with you. It's the, it's the byproduct of a process that is, is happening. And remember, I used pot liquor. And a lot of you came up and talked with me after. And I still realize y'all don't get it. So <laughs> pot liquor. Uh, I made some collard greens a couple of weeks ago. My daughter drank the juice from it because it was really good. And it's like the, it's the, it's the pot liquor. It's that, it's that concentrated flavor resulting from something that's, that's been done. You, you with me? Okay, it's the best analogy I can come up with. All right, so the earth, listen, the kings have committed fornication with this system and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the outcome of this whole process that's come about. It's a very interesting thing that's taking place, and we'll, it'll continue to unfold. I don't want to use up all my time as we go through. Now, notice in verse 3, so he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. Again, he's being carried away in the spirit into the wilderness. Now, the way we think of wilderness is a little bit different than they did. In, in Israel, John being a first century Jew, wilderness to them speaks of that which is way out in the desert somewhere. Y'all with me? It's just desert territory. So somewhere out in the desert, she goes or, or he is taken to see this harlot. And the interesting thing about that, as I shared with you last week, is the picture given to us in Zechariah chapter 5, where it seems to be that there is a basket with wickedness in, a woman which represents wickedness that's put in a basket. Remember, the basket was an ephod. Do y'all remember this stuff? Okay, y'all work with me. The basket was an ephod, commercial measurement. It had a, a lead weight, commercial weight. These are things, items used in that time to measure out goods for sale. And the woman was put in this basket. She was carried by two storks, unclean birds, 
out to a place which is prepared for her in future times. And it was the plain of Shinar, which I told you is the region of Babylon, right? Remember me telling you that. And I bring that up just to, re- just to indicate that it is a possibility that there will be a literal Babylon city in the last days. If we go back 100 years, scholars wouldn't have believed that there would be a literal Israel either. And so there is a possibility that that would be the case. Nevertheless, so he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. And here, notice he says, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of the names of blasphemy, insults towards God is what that is, having seven heads and ten horns. Now stop there for a moment. We've spent a lot of time on this, so this should be kind of obvious. This beast that we see that has seven heads and ten horns is the same beast in the beginning of chapter 13. Are you all with me? That beast was of the dragon who also has had seven heads and ten horns. The seven heads, which we've talked about, are the literal nations, the global empires that have existed through time going all the way back to Assyria and Egypt and Babylon and Persia and Greece and then Rome and then Rome being revived in the final days. And so these seven heads represent these seven world empires. And the reason it's given to us that way as a picture, listen, is because in all of these global empires, they all have the same thing in them. And the resemblance is the same each time. They all are a global superpower which enslaves and persecutes the people of God Old Testament Israel right up into the Roman government in the New Testament, which also persecuted the church. And they all have tied with them a global religious system, which literally forces the subjects to worship it in some way. They're being controlled. We see that with Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar and everybody must bow down to the golden image when they hear the music. I remember that in the book of Daniel, right up until the Caesar worship, which was required in the Roman government in order for you to have full participation in certain aspects of society. This is why I use the vaccine as an example of how things can go in a direction like that. That's where our world is headed. And I think those of us, if you, have the, the, if you have the Spirit of God in you and you're reading the Scriptures, you can begin to see. We can always see that the world is different and the world is rejecting God. This is not new. We've seen this and we know it's headed in a particular direction. So we see this beast, which is the global system, which is controlled at this point in time in the future by the Antichrist himself. He is the last world dictator. The last, uh, the last of the spirit of Antichrist, I should say. Full of the names of blasphemy. Notice in verse 4, and the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet. Very interesting colors because there is a religious organization today that, that uses those colors quite a bit. But to stay focused, notice, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. Very luxuriously arrayed, if you will having in her hand a golden cup full of the abominations and the filthiness of her fornication, which we'll probably will spend some time on next week. But notice, and on her forehead, a name was written. Mystery. And mystery is always in the New Testament something that was previously concealed, but 
is now being revealed. Paul uses this term a lot in the Bible. Remember, Paul says that the church was previously a mystery to the Old Testament saints, but in these last days has been revealed to us. Y'all remember Paul saying that in Ephesians? In other words, this has been a mystery, but now it's being fully revealed. John is seeing it for what it is. Babylon the Great is what it is called. Babylon the Great, a system, potentially a literal revitalized city. We don't know. But the, notice the mother of harlots, spiritually speaking, and of the abominations of the earth. In other words, the picture being given is that this is the origin of all of the abominations and the false religious practices that have come through time. And it's very interesting as we begin to fathom all of this, because as we do, it begins to bring to mind the things about this world system that have been there from the beginning. Now, stay with me for a moment. In the very beginning, there was a system that the first world dictator, the first antichrist, his name was Nimrod. How many of y'all remember me sharing this with you, okay? The beginning of his kingdom was the city of Babel, okay, where the first spirit of antichrist and Nimrod led the first world, if you will, rebellion against God. The flood had come. Um, and, and God was starting the population of the earth over. They were told to spread out and fill the earth. But Nimrod says, not so. I'm going to build cities. I'm going to rule men. And I'm going to do this all in defiance of God. And they built a tower where they literally uh, were in defiance of God. And you can read about that in Genesis chapter uh, 10 and 11. But it's very interesting that this world dictator right beside him comes a world religious system which is still alive. In fact, in the days of the prophets, they were still dealing with this stuff. Let me share with you what the prophet Jeremiah had to deal with. Jeremiah chapter 44 on the screens, verse 16 through 18. Jeremiah had a very difficult ministry. He's prophesying to the people, to getting them to trying to get them to turn back to God before literal destruction comes. And it, and it says here, as for the word that you have spoken to us in the name of the Lord, we will not listen to you. That's, that's how Jeremiah's ministry goes. In other words, the people says, we hear what you're saying, Jeremiah, but we ain't listening to you. We don't care what you say. Verse 17 on the screen says, but we will certainly do whatever has gone out of our mouth to burn incense to the queen of heaven, I've shared her with you before, and pour out drink offerings to her. What queen of heaven? We'll get to that in a moment. And as we have done, and our fathers, our kings, and our princes in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. In other words, we're going to go back to worshiping the queen of heaven like we've always done. Wait a minute, Israel? Israel's separate from the world. Israel's supposed to be separate from the world system. The Lord our God is one, one God over Israel, Jehovah God, right? We know that Yahweh himself, one God, but they're worshiping the queen of heaven. There's a problem. And he goes on to say, for then when we were worshiping this queen of heaven, for then we had plenty of food. We were well off. We saw no trouble. But since we stopped burning incense to the queen of heaven and pouring out drink offerings to her, we have lacked everything and have been consumed by the sword and by the famine. They're so blind at this point. They're attributing everything good that's happened to the queen of heaven and that their, their troubles are because they're not worshiping her anymore when it's the Lord God who led them out of Egypt. How many times that he says, I am the Lord your God? 
who led you out of Egypt, who led you out of captivity. When you were slaves and you couldn't even figure out which way to go, I'm the one who built you into a mighty nation because I love you, but they're worshiping the queen of heaven. Who is the queen of heaven? The queen of heaven is none other than the wife of Nimrod, Semiramis. You can research her in your own time. But, but before I talk about her, it gets worse. Now, Ezekiel the prophet shows up. You know, Isaiah was laying the groundwork. They didn't listen. Jeremiah was laying the groundwork. They didn't listen. Ezekiel comes about, about time. They go into captivity. And Ezekiel is talking to God, and God is showing Ezekiel some stuff. Ezekiel chapter 8, verse 13 on the screen, it says, And he said to me, Turn again, and you will see greater abominations that they are doing. God says, Ezekiel, if, you're, if your mind is, you got a headache now, let me show you the other stuff they're doing. So he brought me to the door of the north gate of the Lord's house. God brings Ezekiel to the temple. And to my dismay, Ezekiel says, women were sitting there weeping for Talmud. In other words, Ezekiel says, when God brought me to the temple, I couldn't believe my eyes. The women are weeping over Talmud. Well, what in the world is Talmud? Well, he's the son of the queen of heaven. You see, in Babylon... Nimrod's wife supposedly gets pregnant by a beam of light. So she has a miraculous birth, if you will, of a son who she named Talmuz. And then he grows up to be a hunter like his dad, but he gets killed one day in a hunting expedition and he dies. So she laments very hard over him, praying for 40 days, and he is miraculously raised from the dead. And from that day forward, this religion is birthed, and they have worshipped this goddess and her miraculous son. From the book of Genesis way back in chapter 10 and 11, this has been happening. And the interesting thing is a lot of things spun off from this. And so now they have a 40-day lamentations, which you may have participated in your former life called Lent where they lament over the death of Talmuz and then celebrate his miraculous resurrection in a holiday they call Easter, which is a Babylonian name as well. And they give eggs, which are signs of fertility, which is a Babylonian ritual. And then I can, go, I can really go further with this right around Christmas time. And I, I don't want to because what we see, because this isn't the main point, but what we see is Babylonian religion permeating and following from Babylon through all of the world global empire since, right up into the Roman one where you have Venus, which is actually Samaranus all over again, and Jupiter or Cupid, which is Tammuz all over again. And um, these things are still being worshipped. Even the Catholic Church we know has adopted Mary as the queen of heaven, and she is worshipped, which is an abomination. And, it would, and, and I guarantee you Mary is very unhappy about it if the Lord has let her know what's going on. Because she worships her son. At Pentecost, Mary was in the room praying to her son with everybody else. The spirit had to fall on her. She was not without sin. She was a sinner. I don't mean to hurt your feelings if you're still kind of Catholic. Mary's a sinner just like you. <laughs> Mary had to get saved, y'all. She was an amazing woman, but she had to get saved. You know, God chose her as a young girl. She was a worshiper of God, but she was not perfect. But the Catholic Church has put all of this stuff in it. 
And I don't want to make this just about the Catholic Church. The scary part, the scary part of this, which goes beyond, in my opinion, the Catholic Church, is that false religion has crept into the church. In fact, today, this like it's a very interesting thing today. Um, as we are, all this stuff we've been talking about, the worship of science, um, the LGBT. Uh, Q agenda that is in, in, involved in everything from the, the very thoroughly documented um, global reset stuff like the uh, World Health Forum and the, um, the World Economic Forums, and they have all of this stuff within their documents, and we know this. Um, they actually have churches now. They're churches, and they take certain scriptures, the ones about love and inclusiveness, you know, have to pull out what they can use and they have these church services and they have the rainbow flag and they're they're worshiping uh, a false religion that justifies to them them being able to do and live any way that they want to and it's, it's all just these false religions Jesus said to us in Matthew 24 on the screen verse 24 through 26 it was Jesus that said uh, for false Christ and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive this is where it's headed uh, if possible, even the elect, meaning that it's going to get so bad that if it's possible, even the elect themselves will be deceived. That's not hard for me to believe now living through uh, 2020. It's very clear to me that unless there's going to be a rapture, even the elect, even, even the church would begin to be deceived because the church is deceived today. He says, see, I have told you beforehand, therefore, if, you, if they say to you, look, he is in the desert, do not Go out or look. He is in the inner rooms. Do not believe it. In other words, if they say Jesus is anywhere but in heaven interceding for us, they lying. And he ain't coming to earth before we go up to him. Because it says the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive will be caught up to meet them in the air. And then he returns to heaven with his church. The whole united church, by the way, that's the resurrection. He brings the souls of those who sleep with him, but their bodies are resurrected because the dead in Christ rise first. And, and Paul says that we may, will not all sleep, but we must all be changed in a moment in a twinkle of the eye. You know, so there's the resurrection that happens, and then we go off to be with the Lord. So if they say Jesus is anywhere else, they're lying to you. And so we have this false religious system. And the scary part about it is as John is looking at it, and he's probably seeing some things that are a little bit familiar to him. And in verse 6, it says, And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. John is now blown away because he sees this system drunk with the blood of the saints. And I don't want to make this just about the Catholic Church, but the Catholic Church has killed so many believers through the years. And every time, listen, and see, with the Protestant Reformation, the Reformers, and many who said, no, it's solo, solo uh, scriptura. You know, we can't, we can't go with that stuff you're saying because it's not in here. Je and, and Jesus is the only one we should be worshiping. We can't worship these saints. We can't pray to them. They have no ability to help us, right? We, you know, by selling indulgences, all of these things that they did, the Reformers died because they said, no, it's just this. And in various times and fashion, still, people who want to stick to what God says are persecuted. And that's where things are about to go again. That's what's coming. 
And so this system, listen, this system is against, listen to me very carefully. It's real simple. I think, and you can probably find this in every generation, and, and you young people who are here, you need to listen very carefully. This system will turn and persecute and devour any group of people who really choose to stay true to Jesus Christ and say no to what the world is moving into at any given time. And John sees that the church has been martyred horribly through this false religious system, which appears to be Christian. Now, here's the problem, which takes me now back to this, this little woman who's a part of this bigger woman in chapter 17. If you go back to chapter 2, and I'm going to end there because I don't have a lot of time. But in chapter 2, the seven letters to the seven churches, 2 and 3, Jesus gets to one of the, the churches and says that he's going to throw some of the people in that church into the great tribulation. Because they've done something horrible. It's the church of Thyatira. We'll have to get back into it next week. But in the church of Thyatira, Jesus says, I'll just start reading verse 18. And to the angel of the church of Thyatira, write, these things says the son of God who has the eyes of flame of fire and feet like fine brass. The one whose feet have been through the judgment on, on your behalf to gain you and the one whose eye sees all. I know your, your, your works, your love, your service, your faith, your patience. And, and as for your works, the last are more than the first. He says, I see a church that's been busy doing some stuff, but this is the problem. Verse uh, 20, nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allowed that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols, and I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. And so there's a portion of the church that's going into the tribulation. Jesus, if, this, if they don't repent, Jesus has this issue. The issue is this. You've allowed Jezebel, which is the spiritual name for this woman here in Thyatira, who seduced and led the people of God away from the worship of God. She's teaching and she's seducing. And here's the issue. Everybody talks about the spirit of, of Jezebel. Y'all have heard it, right? I, I remember doing some paperwork at the bank for the church, and the lady working there was a believer. She's warning me about the spirit of Jezebel. I hear it everywhere I go. <laughs> and, you know, the interesting thing is I'm not afraid of the spirit of Jezebel. I'm more afraid of the spirit of Ahab. Ahab, I don't have time to develop it, I guess, but Ahab, Ahab was an Israelite king who messed around and married this woman who was a Baal worshiper, a priestess of Baal, which is a Babylonian religion. And she brings it into Israel and promotes it. And the, 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 listen, the, the, the prophet of God that's trying to stay true to God kills the prophets of Baal, challenges them to a duel on Mount Carmel. They lost. He killed them. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Ahab, the, the, the Israelite king, run homes and cries about it to Jezebel. And so Jezebel threatens to kill Elijah. She's manipulative. I can't even get the word right. Y'all know what I meant. She's manipulative. Yeah, I think, I think it's because I'm four minutes over time and I need to stop. I want to try this one more time. But, so she's manipulating. Let's do it that way. 
her husband to get what she wants to be able to promote false religion in Israel. And the problem with Ahab is he wouldn't stand up and say, woman, I'm an Israelite king. We have one God. You can't promote your God here. Ahab could have called Elijah in for a meeting and said, hey, Elijah, I need to make you prophet over the nation. I need you to get all the prophets of God and restore worship all through the nation. And, and, and either Jezebel is going to repent or she can go like the other prophets of, of Baal went, you know. He never was willing to do that. So he let her run the show. He was weak. He was not a spiritual leader. And see, in every pulpit and in every home that names the name of the Lord, there needs to be a man that will stand and say, as for me and my house and the collectiveness of our houses, we're going to serve the Lord according to the scripture and stay the course. No matter if everybody else wants to put up a rainbow flag and, and have all kind of foolishness going on, which is abomination to God. And it's not that we hate and don't have love. It's just that it's, it's, it's not bringing honor to him. We don't have to compromise belief because the world system is saying that this is the way it's going to be. The church never does that. And the church is persecuted when she refuses to do that. But that's what we're called to do. You know, if you want to love your life, you're going to lose your life. But if you hate your life for his sake, you're going to gain it eternally. It's just it's what Scripture says It's where we are headed. And it doesn't matter what Pastor Kevin says. Jesus has already laid it out. So we got to make up a decision individually. We're going to stay the course in him or we're going to be compromisers or we're going to allow things that shouldn't be. No, we're not going to do that. It's all about sticking close to Jesus. That's what this is all about. John sees it and he marvels. The church that he was a part of laying the foundation for has been inundated with these things. Now, praise the Lord, a rapture is coming one day. We will stand before the Lord Jesus. He will judge a Christ-rejecting world. But the world is already headed in this direction. And we're going to see some stuff in this world in our lifetime. That we, well, we've already seen some stuff, but we're going to continue to see some stuff in our lifetime that maybe we never thought that we would. You pay attention and you'll see these things. But God is faithful. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today, Lord, for allowing us to begin in this section of Scripture. I pray that you would continue to make it clear to us what we are to learn from you, Lord. We love you today. I pray for everyone who is here, um, Lord, that if they're heavy hardened or burdened down, that you would touch and speak to them today in Jesus' name. Listen, saints, at the end of service, there'll be an elder on my right and my left to, if you need prayer, after worship is over so they can hear your prayer. Um, so after worship, don't just run out if you need prayer. Stay back, and you can come and you can receive prayer. God bless you. Bye-bye.